0: last week in the men's Bible study we were going through a portion of Exodus and um, I don't know how much you like Exodus but there are parts of it that wear me out and uh, I was into one of those sections and uh, I I got caught up in a a verse that I had I'd read before, obviously, but it had never clicked with me quite the way that it did. And many, many years ago, probably 40 years ago, I remember a gal sharing a devotional out of Galatians and tying these verses together. And it suddenly came back alive, and I went searching for some stuff. and um, The idea of being a servant or the servant picture and such... It's very common through scripture because it was a part of the culture in virtually every culture of that day. And so when you, if you look up, like in the Net Bible, um, you look up servant, uh, servants, slaves, slaves, you'll get over 1,100 uses of that particular term. And then if you also recognize that the term Lord, like we use Lord Jesus Christ, was also in that context. It meant to have power over another. It was master or sovereign. And so over 600 times in the New Testament, the term Lord is used. So we don't escape that imagery, so it would be good for us just to figure out what does it mean and what's valuable in there. People like Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Isaiah all were called servants of God. And Paul and Peter and John and, you know, the New Testament believers carried that with them as well. So this is the passage in Exodus that caught my attention. It says, these are the decisions that you'll set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he's to serve you for six years. But in his seventh year, he will go out free without paying anything that doesn't say that he won't be paid, it says that he won't have to pay to get free, okay? In fact, they were encouraged in different portions to be generous with the sending out. Um, In Deuteronomy in particular, when they're reviewing this particular law, they carry that through, and in Leviticus, they're warned, don't treat your servant harshly. So there were some rules that had been laid down but it says, remember you were slaves, Deuteronomy makes that comment, it says, remember you were slaves in the land of Egypt. Remember how you were treated? You don't wanna be treated that way, you wanna treat each other well. So, um, I am jumping ahead of myself. I lost? <laughs> the slides didn't get there. And I'm depending on them this morning. Okay." In that passage, in the next few verses, it said if a man had brought a wife into the relationship of slavery with him and children, he was to be able to take her with him on his way out. It didn't become the owner's property. Then also it, it made the declaration, but if he got married while he was there and the servant had given him a wife, servants still got to keep her. But there was this moment that the, the servant had this option. He says, I love my master and I want to stay here. And so then the master would come and would, would take him before others and put his ear up to a post and put an awl through it. In other words, pierce the ear. This was a mark saying that this is this man's property for life. But it was a voluntary arrangement. It was a servant saying, my conditions are better here than what I had, and my situation is better, and I want to stay here. The only thing that would set this free would be the year of Jubilee. Or if the, the owner died, his son didn't retain rights. So that said... Paul takes on this particular thing in Galatians in one of his illustrations. In Galatians chapter 6, he's been arguing against the right of circumcision. You remember that on the eighth day, the Jewish boys were circumcised, and none of them chose it. It was given to them. It marked them as part of the group. And Paul's going, you can't just force Gentiles into this kind of behavior. That's not the key to our salvation. And so he's been wrestling this through, and the early church had to figure it out. Are we Jewish or are we Christian? Are we servants of God or are we, you know, are we bound by this heritage? And so Paul was taking this on and, and he's, he's looking at this and he's going, you know, those that are trying to force you into this, are just trying to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. He's saying, Judaism is saying, you guys are being profane in this and, and there's a dividing point that's coming. He says, you're trying to avoid this conflict by just participating this way. And then he says, for those who are circumcised do not obey the law themselves. They want you to be circumcised so they can boast about your flesh. He says, you know, if if it was a thing where you had the circumcision and then you obeyed all the law, that'd be great, but that's not the way it works. This isn't a saving feature. He says, May I bo- never boast except in the cross of Christ Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So he takes the very thing that was an embarrassment to the group as a whole, their leader being put to death, and he says, that's the only thing I'm gonna boast about. That's the only thing that I'm gonna celebrate. That through the cross, my salvation came, he says, I'm gonna cherish that rather than demean it or try to ignore it or wish it wasn't a part of our existence, this embarrassment, so to speak. He said, furthermore, I've been crucified to the world. He says, I've taken that on for myself. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that matters is the new creation. In other words, this new life that we have in Christ, this birth of the Spirit that transforms our very being from the inside out, he says, that's the thing that really counts. He goes on and says, and all who behave in accordance with this rule, peace and mercy on them and on the Israel of God. Now here's where it gets interesting for me. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. He has set aside circumcision, but he picks up an Old Testament picture, and he says, I bear the marks of Jesus Christ. And the word used is stigmata. That's interesting because it says, in part of the definition, it can mean punched. In other words, that piercing, similar to the Old Testament. So what's he saying? He's saying, I've entered into something, and I love my master, and I don't want to leave. I'm participating in something that's so valuable that it's worth being a servant for. He says, I'm carrying marks on my body, but what identifies me is that I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And I've been chewing on that, and I'm going, I'm first and foremost a citizen of heaven. You know, when we looked at that some last week, but it it applies to Everything in society, my response to anything around has to be tempered by that citizenship in heaven or recognizing that I represent the master, our Lord Jesus Christ. So when it comes to me like a situation like, how do I step forward or move on in regard to say a Minneapolis situation or what's happening around the country? I'm first and foremost a citizen of heaven, so what does God want in this situation? What is He asking of my heart in this moment? And I have to be willing to say okay. So Paul's Paul's making this comment, he says, you know that outward sign, that that didn't get it. But he says if you want the, the imagery of a body being marked he says, "I'll take on this thing of being pierced for Christ." That there are there may be uh, wounds in my body. You know, he could have been referring to being stoned and left for dead. He could have been referred to the being whipped or beaten. He could have referred to the, the rods being used on his back. There are a lot of things that he could have referred to as scars. But it appears he's picking up this Old Testament picture and saying, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Let's go on. In the, New, in the book of Revelation, there are numerous references to the lamb. And one of the, the statements reads like this. It says, I saw standing in the middle of the throne, in the four living creatures, in the middle of the elders, a lamb that appeared to have been killed. And I'm thinking back and I'm going, Jesus, it appears that he's wearing his scars even though he could have a completely new body if he wanted one. When he appeared to the disciples after the crucifixion, he's still carrying the scars because he's told Thomas, stick your hand in my side. Will that convince you? So he's not... He's not dismissing them. He's not willing to get rid of them. But Philippians says that he humbled himself and became a servant unto death. That he took the direction of what God the Father had for him and he humbled himself, became human like you and I, and that he bore death as a part of that and he picked up some marks along the way and it appears that he's not ready to get rid of them. He just says, this is part of who I am. This identifies me. This is part of my heritage. Intriguing thought. It gives some insights into some of these other passages. In Romans 6, do you not know that if you present yourselves as obedient slaves, your slaves to the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. So says, you're going to be a servant, so choose which side, either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. But thanks be to God that through you, though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. Having been freed from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. For when we were slaves to sin, we were free with regard to righteousness. So what benefit did you then reap from those things that you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. So he's just drawing a line. And in some ways, you know, the, the Old Testament servants, there were two different types. There were those that went into slavery because of poverty or were captured or, or things like that. And they were they could be um servants for life. The other was indentured where they, they had a debt that they had to pay, and so they, they went in, into slavery. In fact, if they'd been caught in thie- thievery and they couldn't pay back, they had to go into slavery. And, and so in this, it's like Paul's writing and saying, you had a debt you couldn't take care of, you were in a very bad situation, you have opportunity for something better in Christ. And you have the right to, to step into it and say, I love my master, I don't want to leave. Put your mark into me. So you know this is part of the background of their understanding. But now freed from sin and a slave to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end is eternal life. He says, The picture that you have in front of you, the life that's being laid out for you is better than what you had. And it's leading on into eternity. For the payoff of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. First Peter said, God wants you to to silence the ignorant that talk of ignorance of foolish people by doing good live as free people not using your freedom as a pretext for evil but as God's slaves honor all people love the family of God of believers fear God honor the king so he's laying out some of the guidelines and saying this is part of what you step into part of the lifestyle that you embrace if you're going to take on this being a slave of God I'm gonna go back to one other passage in John that kind of oh, develops this a little bit further or brings some insight into it. Jesus was speaking to those around him and he says, I tell you the solemn truth, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. So he says, you know, if you are participating in it, you've Giving yourselves over to slavery in that area. He says the slave does not remain in the family forever, but the son remains forever. And so again, off that Old Testament thing, he's going, you know, there was a a setting free. He's kind of switching the, but he's still keeping on that slave idea. And he's saying, if you are in this thing, a place of of uh, family, he says, you don't get to stay there if you're a slave, you move on. But he says, the son, he's, he's there forever. It takes it up another notch. And he says, so if the sun sets you free, you'll be really free. And he's referring to himself and saying, I have the right to bring you into relationship as children of God. And so he's taken it another step further. So I I look at these things, and, and it's like, okay, Lord, I want to embrace this, that I'm a servant of yours. I like what you've brought me into. I like that I was impoverished, and you've provided for me. I like that I had debts that I couldn't pay, but in being in your kingdom, you've paid those for me. I like that the setting that I'm in is better than what I had. I like that the future in you is better than what was in store for me. I love my master. I don't want to leave. You know, (laughs) you might look at someone right now, if that's part of your thing, and say, I love my master. I don't want to leave. Try it. (laughs) that's part of our commitment to Christ right we love the Lord Jesus Christ we love the master Jesus Christ we love what he's brought us into Adonai that's what that term is master we will remain forever with him